Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. I'm not an aggressive person, so it's, it's very hard. <laughs> All right, well, we are back here into Psalms again. Bill was not feeling good, so yay. No, that's not right. Yay. No. Uh, <laughs> Dylan, no. Uh, it's very odd to be back here, like, the next week. I'm just very confused. So, Psalms chapter 22. Let's pray before we get into it, because, yeah. Father, we thank you that you have brought us here to hear your word. And you've brought us to worship you and celebrate all that you have, and we thank you for that. And so we lift you up as we get started. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to your spirit and what it has to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're in Psalms chapter 22. This is a messianic psalm um, about the suffering and triumph of Messiah. It's actually written basically a thousand years before Jesus came, but it tells us so much about uh, Jesus. Um, the it's actually the most quoted psalm in uh, by the New Testament. The New Testament quotes this psalm more than any of the other psalms. So that should give you a little bit of reference to how valuable it should be to you. Um, and it is called the Passion Psalm or the Psalm of the Cross. Uh, and the first half deals with the suffering and lament and remembrance of, of Christ and Messiah to come. Uh, and the second half is more of a thanksgiving and, and rejoicing section. So uh, John uh, Durham calls it a movement in experience from hell to heaven. I think that's uh, appropriate for this psalm. But it starts out with the choir director upon this word that I have no clue how to pronounce, um, uh, which actually means the doe of the morning, uh, a psalm of David. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day. Thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Now, these are some of the last words of Christ, quoted by Christ in all the Gospels as he died. And some traditions hold that Jesus actually quotes the entire psalm. Now, we don't have that in the Gospels, but it's possible but we do know that he quoted this directly and the reality is suffer suffering often leaves us feeling forsaken but for Christ the suffering experience was in the will of God the will of the Father and it ultimately fulfilled his purposes and sometimes we deal with suffering and we deal with struggles 
yet it's in God's purpose. His plan allows us to suffer sometimes. And we need to be understanding that his will is perfect. And he works it out for the good of those who love him. In every situation, despite what you're going through. And for Jesus, he showed us how that works out. And for us, it's become so beautiful. For Jesus, it was for our sake. He asked this question. That we can recognize it was our sin that separated him. It's our sin that separates us from God. And in this feeling, Jesus totally relates to us as humans being separated from God because of our sin. And he took on that sin for us. For Jesus, even in the midst of that, he proclaimed, my God. And he understood his place. And he wanted to under, us to understand that too. That even though we may feel separated, he is doing the work. Verse 3, it says, Yet thou art holy, O thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. One translation says, You're enthroned, uh, you inhabit the praises. In thee our, father trust, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them to thee. They cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. And the reality is that's all the history we can look back and say, God has done a work. He's been faithful through everything. And that's what hope's about. It's about trusting what God has done and ensuring that he will continue to be who he promises to be. And that's how we overcome that despair, by trusting in what he's already done. Because he's faithful. Verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me, sneer at me. They separate with their lips and they wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. And we see this played out in, in the Gospels as well. Matthew 27, 39 says, Those who were passing by were hurling abuses at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. He goes on, 40, 43, it says, He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. That's the mocking of the world. And God ultimately did deliver him. He rose him from the dead. Interesting, this worm, some have said, is, refers to, uh, may refer to the blood worm or uh, the cocos worm, which was originally used, it, 
it was crushed and then used to dye the uh, temple veil red. And we know that the veil was torn in two. And it gives that illustration of the crushing blood of Christ, the experience of Christ being poured out so that we can come in the veil and see who God really is. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and forsaken for men, of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And yet, on the cross, Jesus looks at those people abusing and hating him. In Luke 23, 35, he says, Yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's the heart of Jesus that desires our forgiveness in the midst of of abusiveness when people are being violent to you. To him, he prayed for their forgiveness. And that's the spirit that he gives us. The empowerment to endure and follow his example in the midst of abuse. Say, God, forgive them. Bring them to yourself. Verse 9 says, Yet thou art he who dost bring me forth from the womb. Thou dost make me trust when upon my mother's breast, and upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. God, uh, God begins his care even before we were born. Before he has a plan. And for Jesus, that was the case as well. Interesting, Isaiah 49 points to the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, this despised one who is called from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. That's what it says. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, where there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a raving and roaring lion. Everybody had abandoned Jesus. There was a mob mentality surrounding him. Rage and violence. The Roman guard were pictured as, as lions. Emperor was the lion of Rome. And these bulls of Bashan are referred to both human and spiritual beings um, of pride and violence. If we look back in Deuteronomy, uh, the king of Bashan, uh, chapter 3 of 11 in Deuteronomy, the king, only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants an interesting passage. These are those uh, who are descendants of, of, the, of the Nephilim. Only he remained. Uh, Bashan 
which is called the land of the giants. It's the imagery you get of these great people surrounding him to oppress. Amos says, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring me now that we may drink. See it played out in verse 14. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like pot shards. My tongue cleaves to my jaw and now lays me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me and a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet, and I can count all the bones, all of my bones. They look and they stare at me. You know, there was not any reference at this point to crucifixion in when this was written a thousand years before. That wasn't something that was that was done. And so this this imagery has a completely different application once Rome showed up. That there was a piercing going on. Often hanging on the cross caused your bones to be disjointed, to separate uh, your ligaments would relax. And it was torture just to be on the cross. Thus, he was a spectacle to the world. John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. And when Jesus had received sour wine, he said, It's finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I'm poured out like we see the same imagery when they pierced his side where blood and water flowed. He was poured out. This is a drink offering as well. That it is applies to, to what we see in communion. That Christ, he says, my blood is a new covenant made for you. And we're going to partake of that later. That's his pouring out for you. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lot. Jesus was not crucified with a loincloth. He was crucified naked. It was to humiliate those who were crucified. It was to reveal all there was and laugh at you, exposed before everyone. And even at his death, people were trying to gain from it. You know, John 19 says, The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garment, made four parts, and part of each, part apart for each soldier, and also the tunic. And now the tunic was seamless and woven in one piece. 
And they said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 19 says, but thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my assistance, deliver my soul from the sword and my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox thou dost answer. Some see this as, as Jesus who, who knew he was to die and looking forward to the resurrection. Others see that this is a transition uh, to David's response to what he's seen in his prophetic vision. The horns... Um, refer to the sacrificial altar and thus the answer that he receives is a sacrifice made that salvation has come for all who believe verse 22 says I will tell of thy name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly I will praise thee and the reality is that's what Jesus has done. He has proclaimed the Father to us. Hebrews 2, 11 quotes the verse, um, 11 through 17. Um, he's not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise, sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. He goes on a little bit and says that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Therefore, he had, had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And now we were able to follow in that same praise as he did for all that he's done. Verse 23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he is not despised nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted. Neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. That's the God we worship. The God who hears. And the God that's not silent. He's the God that raises us to life. Verse 25, from thee comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. And the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. In other words, he's saying, I will do what I've promised. And he has. King James um, 
says, my praises shall be of thee. That is, they're all about the Lord. They're the, the overflowing of what he's done. It's from the Father, through the Spirit, for the work of the Son, we praise him. And partaking of communion and eating of the new covenant is to be all satisfying. That's who Christ is. He is the satisfaction of the judgment we all deserve. As we recall his finished and complete work, we're filled with and by that's where we need to be, filled with him. Looking forward, we join with the psalmist in the next verse. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before thee for the kingdom is the Lord's and His rule. he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. It's for all nations, Jews, Gentiles alike. For all families within those nations, for all generations, all genetic descents, all races, to all political, all sociological groups. It's for everyone. Derek Kinder notes, the prosperous are those self-sufficient who put aside their arrogance to join the humble at the feast. That's beautiful. Philippians 2.10 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God doing the work in you. It's not working out salvation. It is living out Christ who is alive in you through his spirit. Verse 30 says, Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. What's the work, the service we render here it's the sharing of the gospel our work is to proclaim him and the gospel was intended to be proclaimed to multiple generations you know for the first century they were like oh Jesus is coming immediately but the scripture is very clear there's going to be multiple generations afterwards 
that need to just hear the gospel. The work is being done. You're the means and the fruition of this prophecy. And that's exciting. God has completed it in you. Just coming here to hear the gospel. Luke 24. I didn't write it down. 24:44. Just before he was taken up after he rose from the dead. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold I am sending you forth the promise of my father upon you but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's a promise that we are to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not received that, you are welcome to it today. Jesus' Spirit, Jesus has sent the Spirit from the Father to us that we might have power to proclaim the truth to the world, to endure the abuse of the world so that many may come to his glory. So as we enjoy that power, that call to be filled, we proclaim that in the communion this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask for your filling this morning. We thank you that you have given us a new covenant in your blood, that we might fulfill your new law, that we love one another. So we welcome you here today. I ask you to fill us with your spirit that we might go out and proclaim your word to a sick and dying world. May you be glorified in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Rest.